God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm going to ask Kara uh, to come forward and uh, speak and share her experience, strength, and hope on steps one, two, and three. Thank you. Thank you, Angie. Good morning. I am Kara, compulsive overeater, recovering bulimic, and sugar addict. And would those of you who wish to please join me in the serenity prayer? God, God, me grant this, me the serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I, cannot, I cannot change. Courage, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. God's will, not mine, be done. I start off each qualification with that prayer to remind me that God is really speaking today. These are his words and not mine. And I wanted to begin by asking you a series of questions and see if any of these ring true for you. Have you ever eaten when you weren't hungry or eaten when your body, not eaten when your body needed nourishment? When your emotions are intense, whether positive or negative, do you find yourself reaching for or thinking about food? Are there foods you can't stop eating after you've had the first bite? Have you ever used laxatives, vomiting, diuretics, excessive exercise, fasting, restricting, diet pills, shots, or other medical interventions, including surgery, to try to control your weight? Have you ever experienced feelings of guilt, shame, or embarrassment about your weight or the way you eat? Have any of these behaviors affected your health or the way you live your life? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be powerless over food and your life may be unmanageable. I know that was my story. So I'm going to say it again. I'm Kara. I'm a compulsive overeater recovering bulimic and sugar addict. And I want to welcome everyone to the Region 6 Convention 2020 Focus on Recovery. When I went to my first convention 12 years ago, I, I went to my <clears throat> convention, first convention 12 years ago, and I've been focusing on recovery ever since. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Let me start by telling you what I was like before recovery and how this program has changed me a day at a time. I don't ever remember having a normal relationship with food. I was always a junk food junkie preferring sweets over real foods. I love anything sugary or starchy. I know today that my body has an allergy to these foods and I cannot safely ingest them. In the chapter called The Doctor's Opinion, 
Dr. William Silkworth, a specialist in the treatment of alcoholism and a contributor to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous wrote, and having once formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. That was me. And when I read that, I think of step one. Now, I don't know which came first, the powerlessness or the unmanageability. All I know is that I had a problem with food that I could not control and life was passing me by. I was a chronic dieter, used diet aids and often restricted or over-exercised. At my heaviest, I weighed nearly 300 pounds. On a five foot one inch frame, that's a lot of body mass. Unmanageable for me was that my joints ached, my thighs chafed and my ankles were swollen and disfigured from carrying such a heavy load. I was never certain which chair in the room would support my weight or even if I'd fit comfortably in the chair as my fat spilled over the seat. On the other end of the spectrum, my thinnest got me hospitalized. I was in and out of various treatment centers and members, members of multiple commercial diet clubs. I made my food issues seem smaller than they actually were, but made mountains out of molehills regarding seemingly insignificant problems in my life. Then, I blamed people, places, things, and situations for my problems. I held on to my delusional thinking, and I believed that this was the truth. I don't just have an eating disorder. I had a living disorder. Physically, I was sick, malnourished, and actively using food and food behaviors as a drug. Spiritually and emotionally, I was also a mess, unable to cope with life. I trapped myself in the prison of my own impossible expectations. I could not deal with life on life's terms, and it created tremendous dis-ease. I didn't know that I needed the steps of this program to bring about healing from the disease of compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. But that's precisely what happened. I found OA and I found a new way of living. I'd like to share with you more about how I focus on recovery using the 12 steps specifically steps one, two, and three. The convention committee had an obvious reason when they decided to name this convention, 2020 Focus on Recovery. 2020 in this case doesn't just refer to the current year. It's a reference to the visual acuity of normal eyesight. 
when I asked you those questions earlier, how many of you thought, I can't believe I did or do all those things? Don't worry. It's easier to reevaluate past actions after the fact and are often more obvious when they are reflected upon. As they say, hindsight is 2020. When you answered those questions, you just took step one. If you were honest, you admitted you can't see clearly when it comes to food. And when I can't see straight, I usually cannot manage my life. I'm bumping into things and I am blind to the truth. The 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous states, for the first time in our lives, we recognized, acknowledged and accepted the truth about ourselves. We are compulsive overeaters. We do have an incurable disease. Diabetics who need to be on insulin risk blindness and possible death unless they recognize the truth of their diabetic condition, accept it, and take the prescribed medication. So it is with compulsive overeaters. As long as we refuse to recognize that we have this debilitating and ultimately fatal disease, we are not motivated to get the daily treatment for which brings about our recovery. Denial of the truth leads to destruction. Only an honest admission to ourselves of the reality of our condition can save us from destructive eating. When we admit our powerlessness and the inability to manage our own lives, we open the door to recovery and hopefully move on to step two. Step two tells me that only a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. Sanity can be a strong word for some people. So I'd like you to think about a power greater than yourself as a source that helps you regain better focus. For example, if my eyes are out of focus, if I want better vision, a better way of seeing things, I go to an optometrist naturally. But what if I don't believe in optometrists? A man went to an eye doctor to have his eyes checked, suspecting that he needed glasses. As the optometrist began to examine the man's eyes, they enjoyed a good conversation. They talked about many things and various subjects. When eventually they touched upon the subject of God, the doctor said, I don't believe that God exists. Why do you say that? Asked the man. Well, you just have to go out in the street to realize that God doesn't exist. Tell me, if God exists, would there be so many sick people? Would there be abandoned children? 
If God existed, there would be neither suffering nor pain. I can't imagine a loving God who would allow all of these things. The man thought for a moment, but didn't respond because he didn't want to start an argument with the optometrist. The doctor finished the exam and gave the man a prescription for a new pair of glasses. The man took the prescription, thanked the doctor, and left. As the man walked out the door, he saw a woman in the street squinting and bumping into things. She looked frazzled and lost. The man turned around and entered the doctor's office again. And he said to the optometrist, you know what? Optometrists do not exist. How can you say that? Asked the surprised doctor. I am here and I am an optometrist and I just helped you. I gave you a prescription for glasses so you can see clearly. No, the man exclaimed. Optometrists don't exist because if they did, there wouldn't be people squinting, bumping into things, or looking lost like that woman outside. The doctor quickly replied, ah, but optometrists do exist. That is what happened when people do not come to me. Exactly, affirmed the man. That's the point. God too does exist. That's what happens when people do not go to him and do not look to him for help. In the spirit of helpfulness today and over this weekend, all I ask is that you are receptive to the idea of a power greater than yourself. Even if you've been in recovery for a while, how could your idea of a higher power expand? Don't fall victim to tunnel vision. Broaden your perspective and you will be amazed at how focused your recovery can become. The big book says, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. Even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. There are as many concepts of God as there are people in the world. Some may find the God of their understanding and never become involved with organized religion. Some see the OA group itself as their higher power. Still, others see God as merely good orderly direction. The important thing is that you find a power that is not you, even if it's a leap of faith. Interestingly, when I was active in my disease, my dependency on sugar was a type of faith. I believed it would take the edge off, solve my problems and offer comfort. Tara, was- you have five minutes left. Thank you, Anne. 
It was my anti-anxiety drug. I gave food more power than it deserved and made food my God. Now I needed to put my faith into another power and redefine a God of my understanding. For me, the truth remains crystal clear. There is a God, I am not her, and it cannot be found in a bowl, a batch, a bag, or a bottle. This brings me to step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. At first glance, this seems like a very scary step. Turning my will and my life over to this mystical deity seems like blind allegiance, an act of total surrender. And I did not know if I wanted to make that decision. But I'll tell you a secret. It's not that daunting. My will and my life are really just my thoughts and my actions. I'm not selling my soul to the devil here. That was life before recovery, a living hell. Today, the surrender is simply moving over to the winning side. I'm making the choice to let God do for me what I cannot do for myself. My thoughts and actions are viewed through a very different lens, and I am able to focus on recovery. In taking step three, I especially need a personal relationship with a God who I believe deeply cares for me. I need this because surrender demands that I trust God with my life, that I will not be harmed, and that I, in that, in the letting go, it will be beneficial to my growth. As elusive as God can seem, I often pray the third step prayer or any prayer that comes to mind in the moment. God, you may be sight unseen, but I believe I am the apple of your eye. You hold me close and only want what is best for me. Help me do your will. Once you seek that truth and visualize it, you'll see your higher power in a new way. No doubt this year, 2020, has been challenging. I've had some serious health issues, I lost a sponsee to COVID-19 and my work hours were significantly reduced. Situations are blurry, plans are short-sighted, there's a dim view of the future and every day seems like an optical illusion. Prior to program, I would have turned to my favorite binge foods for comfort and would have felt justified in doing so. The whole year thus far seems to be a series of losses and disappointments, but never an excuse to overeat. I have learned, especially during this year, to focus on my higher power and recovery. The word focus means to concentrate or to direct one's attention to. It can also mean to zoom in on, a phrase that interestingly enough is how we have been going to meetings during the pandemic. Thankfully in recovery, I have learned how to deal with situations that challenge my abstinence. Turning my will and my life over to the care of God is something easier said than done. Is being able to accept life on life's terms, even when I don't like certain situations. 
I am willing to go to any lengths to keep my abstinence. And I trust God. Today, I don't use food or food behaviors to cope with life. I do not, I repeat, do not have to eat over what's eating me today. I don't harm myself or others. Instead, I talk to my sponsor, write about my feelings, get to a meeting and do service. I have found my voice in OA, regained confidence and rediscovered my creativity. I have a peaceful relationship with food and my body. This program rescued my soul from despair and saves my life on a daily basis. I am forever grateful for recovery. Time. Just give me one more minute. The principle of step three is faith. And I once read that faith is commitment without all the evidence being in. Faith is learning to trust God in the dark. It's like driving a car at night. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. The same can be said for my journey to recovery. I must trust that God will guide and illuminate my path. If I have that faith, the unknown is irrelevant. The answers for me are found in the 12 steps, starting with the first three. If we use the vision analogy, God is the optometrist and the steps are the lenses that we use to see life differently. Of course, we don't just stop simply at step three, but these are the basics. And my sincere prayer for all of you is that you find freedom from the compulsion of disordered eating, a level of serenity that can withstand whatever comes your way and a life beyond your wildest dreams. May this weekend be an opportunity for healing in your life as it was for me 12 years ago. Embrace where you are today. Wrap your arms around the chance to start changing with the first three steps and focus on recovery. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Thank you, Christine, for your translation. And I do have follow-up questions, which I will put in the chat. Thanks, Cara. I want to uh, just thank you so much for your message. It was uh, brilliant and um, illuminating and hopeful. Thank you. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm a compulsive reader, and my name is Angie. Hi, Angie. Hi. <laughs> I've been a member of OA and have been abstinent for 27 years. I am a sponsee and a sponsor. And I work from the textbook Alcoholics Anonymous, which is where our design for living, free from the obsession with food, is documented. To share my qualifications as a compulsive eater, I thought I would tell you a bit about how I took step one. And step one is simply a conclusion. We reach a conclusion by getting information. The conclusion I'm reaching is that I'm powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable. What did powerlessness look like in my case? I harmed myself with food 
And I had a huge list of beliefs I subscribed to before I ate. The list of lies I told myself went something like this. I deserve this. This will numb my fear and anxiety. If I'm eating like everyone else at this party, I will belong and fit in. This food will take away my boredom. This will make me feel good. I can actually have just one and I'll restart my diet tomorrow. I won't feel lonely if I eat. Once I believed my own lies, I followed it up with action, which was to eat some food that I'm allergic to. Those foods either make me wanna eat more in a binge or trigger me to go on to eat other foods that I'm also allergic to, either right then or later on. Once I had the food in my body, an abnormal reaction would occur in me in that I craved more food so that I would binge, regardless of the consequences. In this state, I'm powerless. My body says not to eat certain foods, but my mind tells me I'm okay to eat them. In fact, my mind obsesses about them until I pick them up. That's powerless. Unmanageability, however, is about how the food affects me, socially, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, financially. It's about how my secret delusional romance with food affected all areas of my life. I'll describe some of those for you. How it manifested for me. Physically, I was either going up in sizes or starving. I was weak from hunger or full to the breaking point. I had awful shin splints, which I would exercise on furiously in attempts to exercise off what I was going to eat in the future. Sometimes I couldn't walk after exercising. I remember one time exercising on my shin splints and then I had to crawl up the stairs in an army crawl. And my husband who was coming down the stairs stopped. and We met each other on the landing. I was on my stomach and he was on his feet. He said, I don't know, but I think you're supposed to be able to walk. To him, that was odd. I just swore at him and continued my army crawl up the stairs. My gallbladder was filled with stones and at times I lost control of my bodily functions as a result. Every night I lied in my bed and I begged the universe to make tomorrow be different with the food. I should also note that my hatred for my physical body meant that I didn't wanna be intimate with my husband. And that's a normal part of human connection. When you hate your own body, you certainly don't wanna share it with someone else, even if they love you. In social situations, I was extremely self-absorbed. I was filled with fear and living entirely inside my own head. I spent every minute with you comparing your body to mine and simultaneously hating you and me both. I constantly worried about how I looked and if we were eating, I didn't know how much was appropriate to eat before you might notice something was wrong with me. Mentally, I was confused. I was foggy and I had a hard time making decisions, no matter how small. 
I made decisions that jeopardized my safety and yours. I remember one time I was speeding down a highway that had deep ditches on the sides and I had to decide between having both hands on the wheel or taking both hands off the wheel to open a tin of cookies. And I chose the tin. I made those kinds of decisions. You know, the cops were never ready for people like us. If I'd had an accident, they didn't have a cookieizer. But my, I definitely was impaired. I'm also not present mentally when food was around. And I'll tell you a little story about a Thanksgiving we had. One time we were at a Thanksgiving at a long dinner table with family members. My husband's family is quite large. And I was pregnant with our twins. The, our young nieces and nephews were running around and there was a lot of conversation and joking going on. But I, however, was focused on the mashed potatoes which were about eight people away from me. This is what, this is how I was thinking. Oh, there's the mashed potatoes, so far away. Eight people, seven, six people, five people, four people. Number three doesn't want any mashed potatoes. What the friggin' hell? <laughs> oh, here they are. I love them. <laughs> how much should I take? One scoop, two? No, if I take two, it's gonna look bad. But is one gonna be enough? Ah, oh, shit. So-and-so took them already. I wasn't done making my decision. Well, I did get some, that's good. What will I do with them now that they're on my plate? Am I gonna eat them first? Should I eat them last? Am I gonna take bites all along? You see, at the dinner, I missed every human connection that was going on. There were kids laughing, there were jokes being shared. My husband was patting my belly and saying hi to our babies. I, on the other hand, was having a relationship with mashed potatoes, not with the people. Mentally, I was not present. Financially, I was impacted because I was spending money on junky food, diet clubs, clothes to fit my ever-growing body, and my lack of mental clarity meant I didn't make sound financial decisions. Emotionally, I was volatile. I was filled with rage self-loathing and fear. As a result, if you even looked at me the wrong way, uh, well, you could have had something in your eye. I thought you looked at me the wrong way. It started a war in my emotions. I was extremely reactive and irrational and my emotions visited me at will. I had no peace with my emotional state. Spiritually, I was dead, but I had to pretend I was alive. I had no authentic connection to you or anything outside myself and living this way was quite simply excruciating. So I've described what powerlessness and unmanageability looked like for me. And when I reached the conclusion that I am a compulsive eater based on what I just shared with you, that led me to step two. First of all, I just described a person who believes she has to solve all her own problems. I had no concept of a power greater than myself. And when I came to OA, I reached the conclusion that perhaps you had answers I didn't. And I would have to come to you to go outside myself for these answers. And it meant I was going to have to ask you to help me. 
To believe I needed this help, though, I had to also reach another conclusion. The conclusion that my thinking and actions are that of a person who is not sane. If you look back on what I told you about my step one conclusion, you will see that I subscribed to a set of lies about what food would give me. I took action based on the lies in the form of binging and as a result, I got the exact opposite effect of what I believed was going to happen. I thought food would help me socialize. I ended up feeling isolated. I thought food would make me feel good. I ended up depressed and suicidal. I thought I was in control of the food, yet I felt out of control. I thought food would numb my anxiety and my anxiety was unbearable. To a person who believes a lie, lies to themselves, and then takes a self-harming action as a result. Really, that's not a person who is sane. That was me. I reached this conclusion in step two by clearly understanding my problem as a result of all the step one writing I did. The step one writing about my unmanageability with food and my powerlessness over it. I came to believe that you could help me. I realized my own mind would lie to me in short order. And I stuck with you and what you told me to do. So now I'm at a turning point. It means that I either accept spiritual life or I die the death of a compulsive overeater. If you're anything like me, you fight decisions like these. If I was going to Walmart and there was a person there with a clipboard who asked me, hey, which would you choose? A spiritual life or the death of a compulsive overeater? I would say, well, how bad of a death are we talking about? Will you be here tomorrow? Can I think about it and answer you then? Even though I have these crazy reservations, I did come to believe that you could help me. I realized my own mind would lie to me and I would be heading towards the death of a compulsive overeater. If I stuck with you and did what you told me, I could gain a spiritual life. You told me to make a decision. In step three, we make a decision to turn our will, our thinking, and our lives, our actions, over to the care of God as we understand him. I liken step three to a yard sale. One time my husband and I had this room in our house that we were filling up with junk. Every time we walked by, we would throw something in there. 
Eventually the room became unusable and we couldn't even clearly see what was in there. And one day we said, let's have a yard sale. The decision gave me a feeling of hope and relief. And then the next week we decided to have a sale. And then the week after we decided to have a sale <laughs> all summer. We decided to have a sale, but we never actually had it. The following winter, more junk was added and was now spilling out of the room. In the step three decision, I'm deciding to hold a yard sale with you, my sponsor, and God as the attendees. I will invite you in. I'm going to tell you how I think about things especially when I'm trying to make any kind of a decision. And then I'm going to consult on you with you on my actions, my will in my life. So my yard sale items in my spiritual sale are my beliefs, my behaviors, my defects, my wrongs. Like the yard sale though, the step three decision has no permanent effect unless it's immediately followed up with a course of action. In our program, once we've made this decision, we are really just committing that we will start doing the rest of the steps. The next year, my husband and I committed to the sale and we followed it up with action. We picked a date, we advertised, we put up signs, we sat outside with our junk. Some stuff was taken away immediately. Some stuff we decided after looking at it, that it could still serve us, so we, we kept it. Some stuff we threw away. We received some added bonus gifts. The room was cleared and could be made useful. Five we made minutes. 40 bucks, thanks Anne. We made 40 bucks, <laughs> 40 bucks. And so we went to the movies. The book Alcoholics Anonymous on page 63 explains why do we do step three and it lists some promises and here they are. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed if, if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. If you are afraid of this work, what I can tell you is this. I hated myself when I got here. I looked in the mirror every day and I said, I hate you. I hate you so much. And then I would paste a smiley face on top of that and I would go out into the world 
and behave as if that wasn't what was going on inside of me. That's the hardest work I ever had to do. When we get to OA, we've already done the hard work. Nothing will be asked of you here that is as difficult as living in the food. I wanna thank you for the opportunity to participate in our recovery program. And I hope that you can reach the conclusions and the decision quickly so that you can have your own yard sale and receive the resulting gifts, 40 bucks in a movie. <laughs> God bless you all. Um, just, I need to jump in. Uh, Christine, could you translate what I'm about to say? Please. In the um, interpretation, when you click on it, if you click on French, um, when you go, well, okay. When you when you go to French, um, you can I can't hear you, Claire. You can move your mouse a little down and say and click mute original audio. Ready for me, Claire? Claire, are we ready to do Q&A? I feel like we lost. And if you mute original audio, you don't hear the, you don't hear the person speaking in English. And it will make your sound Are we ready for Q&A, Claire? Are we ready for Q&A? Um, now, Christine, I want to ask Sandy to listen. And we're just going to test your, your microphone. We might see if we can. Claire? Okay, thank you. Okay, so am I to ask the host okay. to enable and, chat for everyone and, um, in the meeting? Sandy is now going to, Christine, Sandy is now going to be taking questions in the Q&A. And if anyone has a Q&A question in French, they should post it there and we'll have Christine help translate it. And this is also open Q&A for everyone here. So uh, this is a Q&A session. So if you would like to ask, it's question, Q&A is questions and answers. It's like an ask it basket. So in this room, because of interpretation, we are asking people to use the Q&A. So if you have questions for our speakers now, please post them to Sandy um, in the, uh, privately in the Q&A. In the chat, right, my dear? In the chat, 
in the chat, right. It says Sandy's Q&A, so you can find her right up there in the chat. So you can also post in French if you have questions. And, Claire, um, could I just I'm, check? Is it is it three minutes per answer, whoever answers? It's three minutes per person who answers. Yes. Per person, okay. And um, try to speak slowly for our interpreter as well, please. And just wanted Sandy to say thanks to Christine. For, if Sandy's waiting for a question, I'm going to start it off. And I'm going to ask, um, has your higher power been the same or has it changed over time? When you took step three, is your higher power the same or is it different? Kari, did you want to go? You want me to answer that? Sure. sure. Um, so my when I got my sponsor, she said to me, do you think you can be abstinent for the next 24 hours? And I said, no. And she said, do you believe that a power greater than yourself can keep you abstinent for the next 24 hours? And I said, nope. And then she said, do you believe my higher power who has kept me abstinent a day at a time all these years could help you? And I said, I'm willing to, to believe that. And then um, about two weeks into my abstinence, I found out that we didn't even share the same religion. And that's when I realized that a higher power is so personal. And we used to joke and say, we share the same higher power. You just call him a different name than I do. So my higher power has certainly changed and evolved, but it has grown more loving, more sincere. And I've Underst I understand today the difference between a religion and ritual and a true relationship with the God of my understanding. Thanks for the question, Claire. Angie, would you also like to answer that question? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, my uh, concept of a higher power uh, has gone from having done uh, to, um, the, the OA group, uh, and then to something, uh, over and above the OA group in the form of a, a collective spirituality, I guess I call my higher power God. And, um, I behave as if I behave as if I'm not God. <laughs> so that means I'm going to consult with you and the process. Anytime I'm feeling mad, scared, guilty, restless, irritable, or discontented. That means I'm going to put pen to paper and I'll be getting on the phone with my sponsor. 
Thanks. Thank you, Angie and Kara. Um, how did you cope with your body image when you started the program? I have 100 pounds to lose. Give me a, who'd like to take that first? Angie, Kara. Kara, you um, as you know, as I shared at my heaviest, I weighed nearly 300 pounds. The, when I got into this program, um, I was a week before I, I got committed to OA, I, I got on the scale reluctantly and weighed 196, which again is morbidly obese and thought, I am never going to lose this weight. And my sponsor lovingly said, if we focus on recovery, we will lose weight. But if we focus on weight, we will lose recovery. And the dietitian I was working with just kept saying to me, trust the process, trust the process. I can't say it was easy because, um, Typically, when I got down to my goal weight, it was I was waiting for the the uh, the shoe to drop. Like, okay, now I'm here. I've graduated to this weight. When do I get to eat all the foods that I haven't eaten for the past however long? Um, luckily, my head wasn't nearly as fat as my body was. And I remembered that I was doing this. I came into this program for the vanity, but I stayed for the sanity. I liked the process and I knew there would be something better um, at the end. Hope that explains. Very good. Angie? And Angie, we have a, very, a question that's specifically addressed to you. Okay. When you mentioned that you would exercise until you were sore, how did you find a way, a loving way to gently exercise? That, uh, that just came over time. I, I had to reduce the amount of exercising that I was doing and that became part of my behavior plan. I had to let my shin splints heal um, and it came about as, as a part of my sharing with my sponsor because the, the, um, the process of the steps means I'm going to share all that stuff, which is the crazy stuff that I'm doing to try to control my, uh, addiction. And, uh, so we came up with a plan, one of which was I wouldn't skip breakfast and I would only exercise a certain amount of times a week. And uh, eventually it resolved. Thank you so much. And this Can is I talk about the body image? I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Sandy. No, no, you were going to talk about body image, my dear. Yeah. So I'm not your typical, uh, well, whatever's typical, what the hell. <laughs> 
I was a healthy weight when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, but I didn't think I was a healthy weight. I actually gained weight in the, the 27 years that I've been here for a number of reasons. I had three kids and two pregnancies. I had surgery. I take medication. So for me, I've had to accept, oh, and I'm old. <laughs> so I've had to accept some shit. I do not like, oh, I don't know if you can, if you can translate that. Sorry, Christine. Like things on my body are in a different place than they used to be. <laughs> so the program has enabled me to love and accept my body where it is today. And my husband and I have, um, we both have really good humor uh, between us about what's going on, what's going on with my body. <laughs> Um, but what I've come to realize is I have a healthy middle-aged lady body as a result of being in Overeaters Anonymous. If I had been eating compulsively for 27 years, I would be dead. Thanks. Thank you so much, Angie. And this question comes in probably for both of you. What is your understanding of restore us to sanity in step two? Do you want me to jump on that, Kara? So I think I explained in step one that I would lie to myself about, or I subscribed to a set of lies about what the food was going to give me, a good result. And what I got was the opposite effect, a bad result. So a person who's insane is somebody who lies to themselves and then takes a self-harming action as a result of the lie. So for me, I have to understand that I am allergic to certain foods, that I can never safely eat them, and that I need the steps to deal with my thinking so that I don't ever believe that I can. Thanks. And Kara, would you like to answer my dear? I think Angie just described that so perfectly. Oh. All right, just bear with me here one second. Um, well, this is right along the same path. How long did it take to work your second step? I, I think we always work our second step. I, um, I really don't like when people say, so what step are you on? Because I believe we're on all of them all the time, or at least I subscribe to that notion um, that even before I took a you know, a formal fourth step, I should have, should my, you know, my sponsor encouraged me to practice steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, 
to be on the lookout for harmful behaviors, to continue to cultivate a relationship and have a willingness to let that um, God of our understanding become uh, really woven into my life. And not just with the food, with every aspect. As I said, you know, I don't just have an eating disorder. I have a living disorder. So when I think that I'm running the show, that's my moment to say, wait a minute, I think there's a higher power that's in charge here. And um, so how long does it take? Uh, an eternity, a lifetime, but it's a blessed, wonderful, amazing adventure and rediscovery of who we are in our soul and our core. That's been my experience. Thank you. Um, Andy, did you want to respond? Sure. Um, it took me a while to reach the conclusion that there was something outside of me that was going to help me in my first year. And I reached that conclusion uh, by coming to meetings. So I came. I came. I showed up. Then I started to wake up. So I came too. And then I saw what was happening with you and I believed it could work for me. So I came to believe, but I've reached that conclusion and it has never left me. Um, so like Kara said, I take that step on a regular basis, which is anytime I think I should sue somebody because they made me mad. <laughs> I, then I realized I need to go outside of myself for help. Thank you. Thank you. And um, here's a question. I cannot stop eating during the night when I should be sleeping. I wake every two hours and eat. Any suggestions for me? Angie? Yeah, well, my first suggestion would be to get a sponsor. And then the second suggestion would be to uh, come to the conclusion and uh, that I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. And it sounds like there's a, an acknowledgement of the powerlessness because of the, the nighttime eating. But I tell the people that I'm working with to sit down and put pen to paper to write out what are the eat. And one example is I will not make it to morning without this food. That's not true. And, but I believe it at the time. So I need to do an inventory on my history with food, how I know I'm different and how is it affecting my life? So sometimes I can acknowledge I'm powerless, but until I can articulate how it's made, how it's affected my life and all those areas I spoke about, then I'm doomed to go on eating. I have to take the full step one and a sponsor can help with that. Thanks. Thank you, Angie. Cara? Yeah, I'll, I will just add that um, while I don't know your, your um, physical condition, I, I knew for myself, I had to work with 
a qualified dietitian to make sure that I was in fact feeding my body appropriately so that I didn't go for long stretches so that I could sleep through the night, um, making sure that um, my metabolism was getting back on track. I had really destroyed my metabolism for years. So in addition to, this is a, a three-pronged program. It is emotional, it is spiritual, and it is physical. So we need to address all of those things. So are we getting enough nutrients? Are we uh, working the, the steps of our program using the tools available to us? And are we using a higher power? Are we saying, God, help me through this night? And again, I, I strongly recommend um, seeking a qualified dietitian to make sure that your body is getting the nutrients it needs to make smart decisions. Thank you both. And we're here for another few minutes. So um, I'd love to see some more questions in the chat box. Scanning through to see if I missed anything. So bear with me. Would one of our co-hosts like to unmute and ask a question? I've got one. Oh no, actually I apologize. I thought it was a question. It's just a statement. It's an excellent one in the chat. I have a question. How do you work step 10? Angie? Well, I mentioned- um, Oh, we're on step three. That's okay. I mentioned uh, mad, scared, or guilty, MSG. If I'm feeling mad, scared, or guilty, I need to do step 10, which is four through nine. So if you look at step 10 in the big book and you um, go through it line by line, you'll see that it's asking us to write an inventory when those things crop up, to admit it to somebody at once, to ask God to help us, to make amends where possible, and then to go and help somebody else. So it's four through nine. That's how I do step 10. Thanks. Thank you, Angie. And um, we got some new questions and they're lovely. I have a wonderful sponsor, but I don't seem able to pray. Any ideas? So, yeah, I, um, I used to think I needed to be like in lotus position on a mountaintop to be close to God or, um, in a church or a temple or, or say some formal prayer or have the third step, seventh step, 11th step prayers all memorized. And what I realized is there is a delightful quote in, um, in for today that speaks of whatever the, uh, 
position the soul is in, the body follows. Meaning, give, this is what it means to me. I give myself time to view prayer in any number of ways. It can be sitting in lotus position. It can be saying a formal prayer. As you know, I start each qualification with the serenity prayer just to center me. But I also recognize that sometimes I can just be singing to a song on the radio and feeling utter joy in my heart. And I realize that I am in complete alignment with my higher power. To me, that's prayer. I could be getting a lick from my dog who loves me unconditionally and realize, I think I just saw the face of God in my dog. I didn't understand that. Oh, my, my phone is talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could be taking a walk and just viewing a sunset. Sandy and I have shared sunsets from, from our homes, these beautiful views. And as artists, we say, oh, my God, do you realize that God painted that sky just for me? So I would just encourage you to be willing to open your view up to what, how you define prayer. Redefine it just a little bit broader um, and, and be willing to see those moments as prayer. Angie, all set or care to chime in? Angie? I'm just, I'm just going to say uh, that, you know, given I didn't believe in the higher power uh, very well as I was coming to, the, the best prayer that I had at the time was to go to somebody and say, can you help me? Uh, so if you're having a problem praying a simple prayer is please help that'll get answered thank you andy and cara um next question what do you do in the moment when you get an uncontrollable food craving coming on cara I have never woken up and said, man, I wish I wasn't abstinent yesterday. But I can't begin to tell you the number of times where I've slapped myself in the head and said, I can't believe I ate that. Why didn't I stop? What could I have done differently? So, when that feeling comes over me now, number one, I recognize that feeling as just that, a feeling. Now, I may very well be hungry, but I need to make sure that I'm on top of my program enough and listening to my body and my higher power and being in touch with my sponsor enough to know when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired. But if it truly is a craving that somehow feels out of the blue, the first thing I do is move away from the kitchen. <laughs> then I say, just as Angie said, please help. Just out loud, please help. To whatever universe, angels, 
particles of air can hear me. If I'm feeling really courageous, I might pick up the phone and actually call someone to say, you know that binge food that has always plagued me? It is calling my name and I don't wanna give in to the siren song that it is luring me. And then sometimes I need to write about it because it's a feeling. I, I'll, and I'll just share really quickly. <laughs> my husband bought a particular treat for my husband and for, for himself and my son. And it was something that my mother used to make. And I couldn't quite understand why that stupid thing was calling my name all day. And I realized it had nothing to do with the fact that it's this delicious sugary thing because my body wasn't craving that. I haven't had that food in a very, very long time. It was my body was craving, my mind was craving, I was missing my mother. And what I realized at a very cellular level was that I wanted to be mothered. I wanted to be cared for. And by, if I had actually eaten that, I would have been doing a disservice to my mother and to myself because the best thing I could do to feel my mother's love would just be, and it's what I did, I sat alone in my library and I just talked to my mom and the craving went away. It wasn't about the food. It was about missing the familiarity of my mother who passed away 17 years ago. So when those food cravings call, I really believe if we've put that food down, that more than- Thank you. It's something else other than that food. Thank you, Karen. I'm like crying. <laughs> and we have time for one more question. Okay. Um, I think I'm kind of good in the chat. I might invite um, if there's a newcomer in the room and you have a question, you have the most important question in the room, and we would love to hear from you. I might also invite our French friends to give us a question and we could um, do it that way. I see a question in the, in the group chat. You do, please yeah. go ahead. If you had a sponsee who had a very difficult time accepting a higher power, how would you guide them? Um, so I'm for one answer. <laughs> what's that, Claire? I'm for one answer. Yeah. I am. Um, I've heard often if you're struggling with a step that you should go to the previous step. And so that would mean that I, if I'm struggling believing that something outside of myself will help me, maybe I haven't reached the conclusion that I really need help. 
And I need to, again, articulate by doing step one writing and research on step one and going to meetings and talking with people that I am a compulsive overeater. I do have an allergy. I am powerless. My life is unmanageable as a result. And then, um, as I told you, I didn't accept uh, whatever a traditional, I don't even know what traditional is, but you know, something outside of myself, but I was willing to accept that the people in Overeaters Anonymous had an answer that I didn't have. So I took them as my higher power. Thanks. Thank you. And Claire, I'll pass it back to you, my dear. Oh, Cara, quick. I do see another um, question. It says, how did long timers stay fresh in steps one, two, three? Um, we did put in the chat um, uh, follow-up questions or reflection questions on steps one, two, and three. So I'm, I'm a big fan of writing. So I encourage folks to um, download those and, and take a peek at those. Um, yeah, I, I think those, and they're um, in both French and English. Can, can someone repost them for anyone that came in late might not have gotten Claire, them? Claire, we, Anne just did that because she's so brilliant. And now I thank both panelists and I thank you for doing service and back to you, Claire. Okay, yes. So I'm going to now unmute the, everyone for the, um, the change to say, unmute everyone for the serenity prayer if you want to join with us. You can unmute yourself. God. 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 Prayer means serenity, serenity. To, to accept, accept things that can change, change. 